thank God for them. So good to be in the house of God. You braved it through the rain. And uh, yeah, here we are. A couple of things I want to highlight uh, this morning uh, that are important is that coming up three weeks from now, we have our first Kingdom Builders breakfast. And if you don't know what it is to be a Kingdom Builder, you can come and talk. Polly Elman is here. You can come and talk to her at the Connect Zone afterwards. But basically, it's a group of people who have a revelation that God, uh, that we can resource the Kingdom of God through our finance. And uh, we have, over the years, had many, many people that have become a part of that group. It's very accessible. It's uh, what we give over and above our normal tithes or offerings. It goes towards our Vision 2020 initiatives. If you want to find out about that, you can find out about it in this brochure here. Uh, it gives you the information on the card on the inside, but also come and talk to Polly uh, uh, Elman, and uh, she can fill you in uh, and give you some information on that. Her husband, Michael, is in Wisconsin in Milwaukee. Uh, he's there for his... his uh, nephew passed away, so he's there for his, uh, the service and there with his family, and uh, so pray for him. I met a couple here from uh, Green Bay, uh, Wisconsin, pastors who pastor in that area, and uh, Michael sent me a photograph today of the river in Milwaukee, frozen solid, and uh, aren't you glad we live in California? Um, so anyway, that's coming up. Kingdom Builders, three weeks. That breakfast is a great time. We encourage, inspire one another. Uh, we'd love you to be a part of that. And of course, our evening service tonight, we have a 6 p.m. service tonight. We're talking about relationships. How many people believe relationships are important? And so we have our Relationships Plus night, and we're talking today about dating, marriage, and sex in that order. What does the Bible say? The Bible doesn't say sex, dating, then marriage, or dating, sex, and marriage. The Bible order is dating, marriage, sex. So it's going to be a great evening, and we've got one, a couple of the great people in our church going to be sharing in that as well. And then coming up Sunday night, we've got Daniel Patterson, who's speaking on seven principles, seven principles of personal recovery. It's going to be really good. Every one of us is recovering in some area of our lives. And I know he's got some great keys. It's going to be awesome. That's on a Sunday night coming up. All right. We've been speaking about the kingdom of God. And our theme for this year is? You did just so in unison. That was so good. And the theme for this year is? Your kingdom come. Okay, so what we're going to do is we're going to start by reading the Lord's Prayer, which is really the disciples' prayer. It was the prayer that Jesus told his disciples, pray like this when they asked him, how should we pray? So let's read this together. Are you ready? Going up on the screens, we're going to do it in the New King James Version because that's the version that Jesus used. And I know that some of you use other translations but we want to get you aligned into the perfect will of God. So here we go. Are you ready? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. 
Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. I've been talking about three of the foundational uh, principles of the kingdom of God. Number one, dominion. Number two, authority. And number three, power. Jesus came to establish his dominion. Jesus came to establish his rule here on earth. And he did that through the authority that he exercised under the, the, the authority of his heavenly father. And he, uh, he exercised that authority and demonstrated it through kingdom power. Wherever Jesus went, whatever sphere of life it was in, he demonstrated that sovereignty. He demonstrated that dominion. The disciples were amazed because not only did Jesus heal the sick, not only did Jesus raise the dead, not only did Jesus um, cast out demons and, 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 and exercise his authority over Satan and all of his kingdom, but Jesus was also able to speak to the storm and calm the wind and the waves. Jesus demonstrated his dominion over every single sphere of life. That's good news for you and me today because it means Jesus, who's the same yesterday, today, and forever, can exercise that dominion in every single sphere of our lives. And today I want to talk about how that applies to you and me personally in our own lives. And so today I want to speak about specifically the kingdom of God is within you. The kingdom of God is within me. The kingdom of God is within us. Jesus went about preaching and teaching the kingdom. And the interesting thing is that when Jesus stood before Pilate, Jesus was taken before Pilate to be sentenced and sent to the cross. Pilate was bemused. Pilate could not understand how if Jesus was the king of the Jews, if Jesus was a king, why was it that he was not wielding kingly authority and power? And Jesus responded to him this way. Jesus said to him, my kingdom is not an earthly kingdom. If it were, my followers would fight to keep me from being handed over to the Jewish leaders. But my kingdom is not of this world. In other words, Jesus was saying, I did not come to establish an earthly kingdom like all the other kingdoms of the world. I came to establish a kingdom that is a spiritual kingdom. And when Jesus was asked by the Pharisees, the Pharisees were saying, and the disciples were also expecting, that Jesus was going to establish his kingdom here on earth. Jerusalem would be the headquarters from which Jesus, as king, would rule over all the world and exercise his dominion, exercise his authority, and exercise his power. And so the Pharisees were expecting that. The disciples were even expecting it. Remember when Jesus was about to ascend into heaven after his death and resurrection? The disciples 
asked him the question, will you at this time, Lord, will you at this time restore your kingdom? At which point, it doesn't say in the Bible, Jesus put his head in his hands and said, oh my goodness, when are you going to get this? When is the penny going to drop? I did not come to establish an earthly kingdom. I came to establish a spiritual kingdom that is way more powerful, that is way more significant, and is way more eternal than any temporal kingdom. When Jesus was asked by the Pharisees, he said uh, in Luke 17, he answered in, uh, when they asked when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them and said, the kingdom of God does not come with observation. In other words, that means the kingdom of God is not going to come with a lot of visible signs or, uh, uh, that will indicate that I am setting up an earthly rule. He said, the kingdom of God, nor will they say, see here or see there, for indeed, the kingdom of God is within you. The good news is today, if you know Jesus, the kingdom of God is within you. Now, the Greek word for within there is the Greek word entos, E-N-T-O-S, which literally means within, among, inside. Some of you that read other translations of the Bible, you will read, the kingdom of God is among you, or the kingdom of God is amongst you, or the kingdom of God is in your midst. But the Greek word entos actually means within. It's the same word that Jesus used when he was talking to the Pharisees who were hypocritical in the way that they made an outward observation of their faith, how, they, how they, they kept all the rules and regulations of the law, yet inside, Jesus said they were like whitewashed sepulchers full of dead men's bones. And Jesus said, first clean the entos of the cup. First clean the inside of the cup, then the whole cup and the outside will be clean. In other words, if you want to li li live a clean life, if you want to live a godly life, if you want to live a life that demonstrates kingdom values and kingdom principles, first clean the inside. And so that's what Jesus was saying. He said, the kingdom of God is entos. The kingdom of God is within you. It's within you. Yes, the kingdom of God was amongst them. Jesus was demonstrating it. Yes, the kingdom of God was in their midst, but the most powerful and significant thing is that the kingdom of God is within us. And I want to talk this morning about what that looks like for you and for me. When Jesus' kingdom is within us, he can speak to the very core of our being. He can calm the storm that's raging in our mind or in our spirit. He can raise those things that are dead in our life that he wants to raise back to life. Maybe it's the dream that you once had. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's some aspect of your life that has been dormant and that in a sense needs to be raised back to life again. When Jesus dwells and lives on the inside of us, he can, he, he can still the voice of doubt and fear. 
He can cause hope and faith to rise within us. Why? Because the kingdom of God is within me. It's there. He's within you today. He's within me today. And he wants to see his kingdom come in the fullness of all that that means in our lives. And so when God's kingdom is within us, we are transformed. But here's the other thing. When God's kingdom is within us, we are not only transformed, but we receive a transferal of his authority and power in our own lives. Which means that Jesus can speak to the storm in my life, but he's given me authority to speak to the storm myself. Are you following? And he wants me and he wants you to use the authority that he's given to us, that dominion, that authority, and that power that he's transferred to us. He wants us, he wants us to use that in our own personal lives so that his kingdom can come in us and we can see his kingdom come through us. But it can only come through us when it comes in us first of all. We become people with kingdom influence. The kingdom of God is not a democracy. I'm going to say that again. The United States of America is a democracy. There are many countries around the world that are democracies. The kingdom of God is not a democracy. The word democracy comes from the Greek, meaning the majority or the rule of the people. That's a democracy. The kingdom of God is not a democracy where we vote for who should govern. Well, Jesus didn't come through. I'm going to vote for someone else. It's not a democracy. It's a kingdom. It's not a democracy where we can debate the principles of the kingdom or the constitution of the kingdom, etc., etc. It is a kingdom, not a democracy. The other thing that the kingdom of God is not, it is not a dictatorship. The kingdom of God is not a dictatorship where you are forced to bow your knee to the dictator. That's Satan. Satan's kingdom is a dictatorship. God's kingdom is a kingdom. And he gives us the choice as to whether we bow our knee to his sovereignty or rule or not. We have the choice. God does not force us to love him. Why did God give Adam a free will? They messed it all up. If only Adam and Eve didn't have the choice to sin, we would not be in the pickle and the mess that we're in now. But God gave them a choice because he didn't want a creation who were basically subjects of a dictatorship. He wanted to give us free choice. And so as believers, we have free choice whether we bow to his authority or not whether we worship him or not, whether we accept him or whether we reject him. It's our choice. And that's what's so powerful about the kingdom. But when we come under his kingdom rule, when we crown him as king of our lives, and we, we, we become citizens of the kingdom, and we understand the principles of the kingdom, all of a sudden we begin to receive the benefits of that kingdom. I pulled out 
two passports this morning. The first of these is an American passport, and it belongs to our daughter, London, who was born in the USA. And it says on this passport, we, the people of the United States, in order to form a more perfect union, establish justum, ensure domestic tranquility, provide for the common defense, promote the general welfare, and secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity, do ordain and establish this constitution for the United States of America. There are benefits of being a citizen of the United States of America. It also says here, the Secretary of State of the United States of America hereby requests all whom it may concern to permit the citizen national of the United States named herein to pass without delay or hindrance and in case of need to give all lawful aid and protection. There are some privileges. I have two others, which I will refer to shortly. And I will be getting one of these as well. So I will have three passports. I'm saving up for it after all that I spent for the rest of my large family. This one is a, is a passport of the United Kingdom of Great Britain and Northern Ireland. This is my passport. It says, Her Britannic Majesty's Secretary of State requests and requires in the name of Her Majesty all those whom it may concern to allow the bearer to pass freely without let or hindrance and to afford the bearer such assistance and protection as may be necessary. There are benefits. Part of the European Union. No more. But I'll be hanging on to this passport for a while so I don't have to get in the line with everyone else. There are benefits of having this passport. The Australian passport says on the inside of it, this is a valuable document, keep it safe at all times. <laughs> Just kidding. No, it actually says pretty much the same as those two passports. In other words, when you're a citizen, there are benefits of that. And Paul, the Apostle Paul, said to the church in Ephesus, he said, I pray for you that you might know the riches of the inheritance that are yours in Christ, that you might know the benefits that are yours as citizens of the kingdom of God. And, and how, do we, how do we know? How do we find treasure? How do you find treasure? You search for it. You dig for it. That's why it's so important that we know what this book says. Not that we just read it as a, as a daily obligation, but we actually dig into it. Di said she saw something in the Bible that she'd never seen before. That's what happens when we read the Word of God. Every single time I read the Bible, I find something new. I find something fresh. I find something powerful that is new 
that helps me discover what my inheritance is in Christ and the authority that I have in Christ and the power that is available to me through the power of the Holy Spirit. We dig to find that treasure. But here's the thing. We can only access the benefits of the kingdom if we come under the rule of the king of that kingdom. And so... In order, for us to, in order for us to see God's kingdom come in our lives, in order for us to experience His authority and power, we must come under His authority. We must come under His power. And that's last week we talked about the centurion's faith and how the centurion said to Jesus, you don't even need to come to my house. You just need to speak the word, and my servant will be healed. Because I'm a man under authority. I say to one man, go, and to another man, come, and he comes. He didn't say I'm a man of authority. He said I'm a man under authority. He had authority because he was under authority. Jesus had authority because he was under his father's authority. You and I have authority when we're under Jesus' authority. Remember the story of the seven sons of Sceva in the New Testament? The, the, in the early church, the, the people that were Jewish exorcists who would go around exorcising people, and they saw that Jesus' disciples were casting devils out of people, were casting devils out of people who were demonized. And so they saw that Paul was doing it, and so the seven sons of Sceva found, found someone who was demonized, and they said to him, we cast you out in the name of the Jesus who Paul preaches. They were setting themselves up for some major grief. And the demon turned and said to them, Paul I know, Jesus I know, Paul I know, but who are you? And it says that they ripped their clothes off and all seven of them, one man, and they all seven ran out of the room bleeding and, and naked. They had no authority because they were not under authority. Hey, if we don't want the enemy to say to us, hey, Jesus, I know, Paul, I know, but who are you? We're wise to come under Jesus' authority because the level to which I come under Jesus' authority is the level of the authority that I know and I experience in my life. Are you with me? So when we pray, this is a dangerous prayer. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Because I'm asking Jesus' kingdom to come in my life. And when we pray that prayer, it should be my, your kingdom come first in my life, then in my family, then in my community, then in my world. Let your kingdom come. The word to submit is not a popular word in today's world. We don't like to submit. But it's a very powerful word because the word submit, the Greek word hupotasso, means to arrange in order under. It means to be arranged in order under the authority of the one who is in authority over me. When I submit to Jesus, I'm arranging my life in order under his authority. Does that make sense? So when we're praying, your kingdom come, 
your will be done. We're praying for his rule, his authority, and his power to be released on the inside of us. I want to talk, close by talking about three areas where we can see Jesus' rule established in our lives. First of all, in our spirit. In our spirit. In Proverbs 25 and verse 28, it says, Whoever has no, take note of this, whoever has no rule over his own spirit is like a city whose walls are broken down. In other words, if we don't have rule over our spirit, we become vulnerable. We become defenseless. We become easy prey for the enemy. And so that tells me I am responsible for my spirit. I'm responsible for the kind of spirit that I have. Now, the word for spirit there is the word ruach, which is the Hebrew word that is used in the beginning, when in the beginning the, 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 there was darkness over the face of the earth and the Spirit of God ho- hovered or hovered over the waters. And the, the word is ruach, which means the Spirit of God. It's the same word. God breathed into Adam the breath of life, and he became a living being. And our spirit, we are created by God to be spirit controlled or spirit-led. And if you were to look at, we talk about, uh, in our language, we talk about body, soul, and spirit. But actually, Jesus, God's language is spirit, soul, and body. If you were to draw three consecutive, three concentric circles, the inner circle would be our spirit. The next circle would be our soul. And the outer circle, the shell, would be our body. And God created us that place, our spirit, to be the place where his spirit resides, where he speaks to us, where he leads us, where he directs us. And so I am responsible for my spiritual life. But I'm talking more about the area of our, our soul when I use the word spirit, because the word spirit and soul often in the Bible are interchangeable. And so I have to learn... I have to learn to control myself. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So that's the fruit of the Spirit. I need to learn how to control and to rule my spirit. If I do not rule my spirit, my spirit, my soul, my mind, my flesh will start to rule me. Anybody know what I'm talking about? And I need to be vigilant. I need to be alert. I need to be aware. And here's what we read. Um, and, I, and here's a, an interesting passage in Genesis 4 and verse 7. We read the story of the first brotherly conflict between Cain and Abel. And Cain actually... Uh, Abel brought an offering that was pleasing to God. Cain brought an offering that wasn't pleasing to God. And this is what God said to Cain. He said, if you do what's right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, pay a special note to this. Sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. 
What a powerful verse that is. We have things, all of us, that are crouching. Sin is crouching at our door. We have things that are waiting to dominate, to rule over us. But God says, I created you to rule over sin. I created you to rule over that temptation. I created you to rule over that emotion. I created you to rule your spirit. And so when we read in the New Testament, we read people who, we read this word that, that for example, for Caleb. God said to, about Caleb, but my servant Caleb, of course, was one of the two spies who came back from spying out the promised land after the Exodus. And Moses sent 12 spies, one from each tribe, to spy out the land before they went into it. And 10 came back with a bad report, full of fear. Two came with a good report, Joshua and Caleb. And God said about Joshua, but my servant Caleb, because he has a different spirit in him, and has followed me fully, I will bring into the land where he went, and his descendants shall inherit it. Caleb had a different spirit. Why was it that he had a different spirit? Was he born that way? Was it a spiritual gift? Did he have some advantage over everybody else? No, Caleb knew how to rule his spirit. He was not going to be ruled by fear. He was not going to be ruled by doubt. He wasn't going to be ruled by what the majority said. He wasn't going to be ruled by what everyone else was doing. No, he ruled his spirit, and because he had the ability to rule his spirit and not be dominated by fear or by people's opinions, he was able to inherit the promises of God for his life. God said he had a different spirit. Hey, you and I were created to have a different spirit. We were created to be able to rule our spirit even in the worst of times. Daniel was spoken of as having an excellent spirit. Daniel distinguished himself above the governors and satraps because an excellent spirit was in him and the king gave thought to setting him over the, the, the realm. Both of these young men, one came into the full inheritance that God had promised. The other was set over the most powerful nation on the earth. Of course, uh, Daniel was uh, given a, a, a prominent position uh, in Persia. The, the nation of Israel had been taken into captivity. And here he is in captivity. And in the captivity, in his captivity, he demonstrates an excellent spirit. Hey, whether we're in captivity, whether we're surrounded by people full of fear, whether we're surrounded by prevailing opinions, whether we are being there are forces in our culture trying to squeeze us into its mold, we can have a different spirit. We can have an excellent spirit. Why? Because God gave us the authority to exercise dominion over our spirit and our soul, but we have to exercise it. We have to come under his authority and we have to exercise that authority and know that we have that authority. Caleb didn't allow fear to rule his spirit. Daniel didn't allow the culture of his captivity to rule his spirit. We have a choice. We have a choice. The Bible talks about a broken spirit. 
and a wounded spirit. Proverbs 17, verse 22, a cheerful heart is a good medicine. How many of you know that? A cheerful heart is a good medicine, but a broken spirit saps a person's strength. Now, the word for broken, it's an interesting Hebrew word, means stricken or prostrated by conquest. I'm going to say that again. The word broken, as in a broken spirit or a wounded spirit, is the Hebrew word meaning stricken or prostrated by conquest. To prostrate, prostrate means literally to be bowed down, to be defeated, to be conquered. So it speaks of a spirit that's been conquered, that's been defeated by the circumstances of life, by the hurts of life. And in the book of Proverbs, in, in verse chapter 18 and verse 14, it says, the spirit of a man will sustain his infirmity, but a wounded spirit who can bear. A broken or a prostrated, prostrated spirit who can bear. Got nothing to do with your prostate, by the way. A prostrated, a prostrated spirit. Prostrated by conquest. So here's the interesting thing. Uh, the, uh, the spirit of a man can put up with, with sickness and infirmity. But a wounded or a broken or a conquered or a defeated or a prostrated. And to prostrate means you literally surrender. It doesn't just mean beaten down or afflicted. It means you surrender. I'm done. Don't ever, don't ever let yourself say, I'm done. That's it. I just give up. I'm not. No. Get some fight there. Know that you have the dominion. You were given that dominion. You were given that authority. You were given that power. And the Word of God goes on to talk about, there are many things that I, I could talk about this, but goes on to say, watch over your heart with all diligence, for from it flow the springs of life. Don't ever get a, allow yourself to have a wounded spirit. Don't ever allow yourself to have a, a cluttered spirit. Anyone have a uh, a, a, a closet that's cluttered, full of clutter, stuff you don't need, shirts and clothes that belong to a previous era. You don't need them anymore. They're just cluttering up your life. Die went through. I used to wear suits in Australia. When I, when I preached, I'd wear a suit, sometimes a suit and tie, and don't need them in California. I went home one day and Di had given away like seven of my suits without even asking me. Like, you know, Hugo Boss, Versace, uh, you name it. Like, who else? Uh, Paul Smith. I had some Paul Smith suits. Really nice suits. Gave them away. She just said, you don't need that clutter in your life. They belong to a past era. So now I'm thankful to her for uncluttering my life. We don't need those things, just like we hold on to things from the past that clutter our spirit. Let them go. 
Don't let them rule over you. Don't let them dominate your life or dominate the way that you, that you think. I'm going to get the worship team to come. I'm going to talk about the other two things next time. Our minds and our flesh. Anyone have a mind? Anyone have some flesh? Oh, yeah. I'll talk about those. How we can rule up here. How we can rule our flesh. God wants you to rule and reign in life through Christ Jesus. He has given us the authority. He has given us the power. He has given us the capacity and the ability to not be ruled, to not be dominated, but to come under His authority and see His kingdom come and His will be done. The kingdom of God is within us. Next time those things start to gnaw at us and start to eat at us, Next time we start to, to find in our soul, in the realm of our soul, let's pray that prayer. Your kingdom come. Your kingdom come in me. Your will be done. I submit. I surrender to you, Lord. Have your way in me.